The kids are going to go upstairs with me, and we're going to hear from the Buckley's. I'm so excited, guys. You'll have to tell all your parents. And then Jesse and Carl are going to come up here. No? Sorry, grown-ups. I'm disappointed too. I was like, the Buckleys are talking, I can't wait. And there they go. They are talking, just not to us. I couldn't should stop talking even though you're supposed to go first. I wonder if you will say anything for myself. Hi everyone. Good morning, Jesse. I'm Jesse, and this is Carl. He's really excited to talk to you, but he's going to have to wait just a little bit longer. That's all right. I'm so glad to be with all of you this morning, and I've been so glad that we've had the chance to uh, talk with you over the past three Sundays about the Book of Ruth. Um, this is the third in a three-week series on the Book of Ruth. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, for me, it has just been sort of the culmination of a couple of months of just sort of reading and absorbing this text and uh, having a lot of conversations, learning deeply about uh, so many elements of the story, asking so many questions, and, and just being able to, in many ways, be a part of a community who is turning this book over and looking at it from different angles. I don't know, it's just been really uh, a delight for me, and I hope it's been and continues to be um, a delight for you. So we are speaking about Ruth. This is a part of a bigger series that we're engaging with at Central Vineyard about the genealogy of Jesus. As uh, wonderful um, Eve said, uh, Ruth is like the many times great-grandmother of Jesus. And she's the great-grandmother, just one great, of, of King David. Um, and, and she enters the story in the book of Ruth as an outsider, as he beautifully summarized, and ends the story as um, an essential part of the, the lineage of Jesus. Um, and we're going to explore today... Uh, the story one more time. We're going to go, we've been, the way we chose to explore this story is just to explore it from one perspective or through one lens, and then to take uh, a rewind and go through it again through a different lens. And then this is our third time through in, the, in a third lens. The first time we took through the whole story and we, we kind of performed it for you, the oral visual uh, exploration of, of the story of Ruth. Um, the second session was really focused on um, taking action and initiative in the midst of hardship, struggle, and a series of situations in which there is seemingly no good choice. And I just want to say, whether you've been with us uh, online or in person or not at all over the past couple of weeks, I just think we would all benefit from reading this book. So if, go read it, because it's only four chapters, it's very brief, and it's really lovely. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to just really read it yourself, I invite you to do so. One of our early questions as we were going through this 
book was why does this particular person in the genealogy of Jesus take up so much real estate in the Bible? Like why, why is Ruth given a whole book in the Bible? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I have a guess. And so this is not like, 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 I don't know, enlightened teaching. It's just my idea, my speculation, which is just because it's really a beautiful piece of literature. <laughs> just lovely. And so it was like, we can't not include this. That's my guess. Um, so um, just as a way of sort of tying back to last Sunday, I just wanted to mention we were exploring the way the book of Ruth is, is really structured around the actions of the characters, the choices made by each of the people in the story, and the ways that the different characters from their own position, within their own constraints, and their own context, step forward into a resourceful action or a loving action when they have not otherwise been offered good choices. And we talked about the idea of the covenant redeemer that's implanted in the Jewish law and the custom of the, um, the Jewish tradition, right? And the fact that this idea of the covenant redeemer requires initiative to be enacted. It has to, it involves someone who chooses, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna be a part of this redemptive work, um, as opposed to it just sort of happening automatically. Um, and so the role of human action in the context of the broader work of God. And, and, and I invited you to ask a question that we didn't quite have time to discuss, um, which was really the question, has there been a time when you or someone that you know has taken action when they've not been offered otherwise what can be described as a good choice? In other words, you're taking initiative in the midst of constraints. And, and how does God show up in that? So, I want to invite you, as we've been inviting you throughout the series, to talk to the people close to you for just a moment about this question. So I'll repeat the question, and then you can make eye contact with, with someone close by and have a, have a tiny little dialogue. Uh, has there been a time when you or someone that you know has taken action when they've not been offered a, a good choice? Right? They've stepped into initiative within their constraints. And then God has shown up in or before or during or after that choice. So look around. Look at these beautiful people around you. Um, might there be a quick, a, a quick little group of two or three people that you could join in just for 90 seconds to um, explore that question? Thanks.
everyone here really in, into the discussion. Uh, take about 30 more seconds. There's a place that was overgrazed 
for many years to the point of becoming a desert. And so a man decided to plant trees there like every day, every week for decades. And it's a verdant growing place. The animals have returned, the insects have returned. Plants he didn't plant have returned. So there's a restoration that can happen in the desolate places. So we want to look at the story of Ruth today through the lens of desolation and restoration. In particular, I want to think about this in terms of resource and in terms of relationship. So I'm going to ask you guys to engage your creativity a little bit. Some of you will be fine. Some of you, I believe in you, you'll get there. And you use your imagination. Imagine, as I tell the story, and I'm going to try to draw this out, that you can see you're flying above the tail. You can see the relationships between the characters. You can see the ties that bind them together. So that as we explore the story through this lens, you can see the ways people are connected. So how do we start the story of Ruth? Well, we have our first little circle of relationship. We have uh, Elimelech's family. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, his sons Malone and Killian. This little web, this little four, leaves their big circle of Bethlehem, leaves their hometown and goes to this new country, goes to Moab to live. And they take their connectedness with them. And they're going in a difficult time. They're going in the midst of famine, so they're looking for resource. And it seems like they find it. They are established well enough that women are willing to marry Malone and Killian. So they have some resource. And that little family of four expands. And there's a little bit more resource and a little bit more relationship there. And of course, with uh, the expanse like this, the expected would be more expanse, to have children, to become a, a little tribe growing more and more people, marrying in, more children growing and growing. But that's not the story. Elimelech, the father of the family, he dies early on. And not too far later, Malone and Killian die, and nobody has had any children. And so this story, this circle of four that became six, I think that's right, Matt, uh, has become three. And three people with the station and place and label in their society of widow. Three widows together. All identified by their missing connection and by their loss of resource. And what was the beginning of a prosperous story has become a desolate story in a desolate place. And so Naomi, in the midst of this, says, I give up on this tale in this way. I'm going back. I'm going to make a desperate dodge to connect to this, the big, loose circle of my hometown, Bethlehem. And Orpah and Ruth set out with her. And along the way, she's like, you know what? This is a dumb idea anyway. For me, it's a dumb idea. At least they're my people. 
you should go back to your circles, your families who have some resource. You have a way better shot of getting connected, building a new circle with a new husband, a new family, with your old family in your country. And Orpa, I think wisely, says, yes, I will do that. But we don't know. She may have had a great life. Uh, Ruth says there's no way. I say our circle, two widows now, our circle, our family is stronger and more important to me than the family that I came from, from the country that I came from. I say I choose your circle, I choose your people, I choose your God, and I'm going to be a part of you. And so she intensely doubles down on this little circle with Naomi and Ruth. They head back to Bethlehem. When they're there, they, they are recognized initially by the people of Bethlehem. They say in the, um, in the message version, it says, um, when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was buzzing. Is this really our Naomi? Oh my gosh. They left and came back. This is before TV, guys. So we're looking for entertainment wherever we can get it. But yeah, they're excited. This is the return of people. They're recognized. Naomi doesn't see it. She rejects the little bit of adoption that's there. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Call me Barb. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have anything. I'm not connected to anyone. I have no resource. She's owning her desolation in this moment. Um, time passes. Ruth decides, I don't want to starve to death. Let's, what can we do? Let's glean. Let's go out in the fields. And she finds... Uh, Boaz's field. And Boaz asks, in the ESV, I think this is interesting, Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of reverse, whose young woman is this? Who is this woman connected to? What circle is she a part of? And they say, she left all her circles behind. She's just here with Naomi. She came from Moab. Her husband died and she stuck with her mother and came here. And she's been working hard to make it work. And Boaz is moved by that. And he speaks to Ruth and he says, um, The Lord repay you for what you have done by investing in your relationship with Naomi, by caring for her. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord God, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz recognizes that Ruth has come and brought her circle under the protection of God under his circle, the big wings of the Lord. And I think it's beautiful. It's understated in the story as told in the scripture. And we get to chapter three, and it just starts with, Naomi's like, okay, let's get you a man. Like, that's sort of how it goes. But you have to, she has gone from saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter, to, hey, Ruth, you know, Maybe we can make this thing work. She's stepped out of some of the desolation narrative that was natural and made sense for her to be a part of, and she's become willing to engage in hope and engage in reaching out and trying to connect to the circle that's become open to her. And so uh, we have the scheme where uh, Ruth is sent to the threshing floor to a inebriated boss. A story that could have turned out a lot differently. If you have spare time, you guys probably read 
like uh, rabbinic midrash in your spare time? Yes? Um, there's a lot of great stories about speculation about what was going through Boaz's mind that's not in the scripture for another, another day. But Boaz, um, he sees Ruth, and Ruth says, he says, who are you? A fair question, somebody laying at your feet in the middle of the night. I am Ruth, your servant, Ruth says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Echoing in the text, God's wings, these are the wings of a mother hen, okay? This is the wings of protection and refuge. She says, take me and under your refuge. And Boaz is moved by this. He's always been moved by Ruth's care for Naomi. But here, we have another reading between the lines moment, which is, Boaz is a landowner, wealthy fella. We don't talk about any wives or kids in the story. And so we don't know exactly what his story is. But it would not be unreasonable, and it has been read by many, to suggest that Boaz himself was a widower. That he lost, perhaps, the wife of his youth. And so, here he is, potentially an, an older man, less desirable in, in ways, being chosen as well. He is being invited to a, a circle of relationship, too, at the same time. And so, he walks through the steps to fully restore Ruth and Naomi. They give the Redeemer relative, who doesn't even get a name in the story, a chance. Um, and he passes. And then Boaz formally joins the family. It's interesting and fascinating. It, a part of the narrative here is Boaz, the man, the patriarch, joins the family of the dead man. Now we're still stuck with men. That's just how we end up in the ancient world a lot of the time. But by marrying him, he's carrying on the name of Malone, so he's adopted into a Limelech family, into Malone's family, at the same time as he adopts Ruth and Naomi into his family. So we have a new circle, a new powerful family, and we, in so doing, formally recognize Ruth into the circle of Bethlehem, and the circle of the tribe of Perez, into the circle of Israel, and the circle of the Lord God. And then we have these two widows and this maybe widower joined together, embraced by their whole community. And then by God's grace, a child is added. There's a beautiful confusion in the text, in the uh, English Standard Version. Um, in Ruth 4, 14 15, it says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And the antecedent is unclear. Is it the Lord is the restorer or is this child the restorer? I think it's probably both. The gift that God has given in the child is this restoration and redemption. This is the work of God broadly to redeem and restore the desolate. The people who have found themselves alone in a blasted place without resource, without connection. This 
small story echoes the grand story, the story which we believe culminates in Jesus' restoration of all people, ultimately. We, as humanity, tend to fracture ourselves and tend to turn away from resources. And that's how we find ourselves desolate, so often disconnected from the source of life. And so, I want to invite you to consider today how you are feeling desolate, if you are. In what areas of your life do you feel unresourced and disconnected? In what places do you feel like there is nothing green growing anymore? And I want you to know, to the degree to which you may feel in a desolate place, that that's just the place that God likes to show up and to restore. Just like some of those stories perhaps you guys were telling each other, moments ago when we were discussing choices and things, the places that God showed, showed up. And I want to ask you where in your life you have been a restorer. I know a lot of your stories here, and I know there's a lot of beautiful stories of restoration in this community. And I want to invite you to ponder that and be open to it, because that's just the time when you are allowing God's love to flow through you. So you don't have to be scared. Some of us grew up in the church were real scared of being proud of anything. Pride's a sin, we say. So I'll just invite you to recognize the Lord's goodness then flowing through you and not to miss those moments and stories in your life and not to write it off and not to forget about it anytime you have been a part of God's restoring work in the world. One of the most beautiful things to me about all this, I talk about being desolate, I talk about being a restorer, is that we can all be desolate restorers. That we can, in the midst of our lack of resource, just sometimes be willing to reach out for help and for resource, be a restoration to others. Boaz was restored to family by reaching out to restore a family. Now, he had some resource in the story, but those who did, Ruth and Naomi, who had no resource, were able to bless him in that. I don't want to invite you to transgress boundaries. I'm not asking you to give of yourself what you don't have. But be willing to be open to what you do in the small ways that you do and to not, not feel like you're too broken or too desolate, that you limp too much to lead or carry anyone along with you. Jesse? God, in God's goodness, has decided to engage in restorative work with us as individuals, and also in the context of community. And I wanted to offer, as we kind of move toward 
concluding and um, reflecting and, and turning back to God uh, to, to guide us and inform us. Um, a, a bit of a caution and an invitation. Right? We, we uh, think a lot about, you know, when we think about how does this apply to me? <laughs> you know, we think about uh, this, this uh, theology of God and we think about, okay, where, where does this intersect with my story? And we even, we've explored this story primarily through the lens of, of the three people at its center, right? We think a lot about the individual. What can I do today, or how can I be thinking? We want to see Boaz and Ruth and Naomi as the protagonists, the heroes of the story. But I want to offer um, a, a provocation that the, the, the collective act of the community in being participating in and witnessing the restor the restorative work of God, of of cementing it and making it concrete in the community, platforming it and accepting it is also really important. But it's a little bit outside of our Western way of thinking about what's important about a story. The story is about Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, and it's also about the community of Bethlehem, the community of women, and the community of men who speak with a voice, a single voice, uh, pointing to the blessing of God and speaking into the story and elevating it and connecting it to the broader story of God. They make real the commitment of restoring and adopting that is the central movement in the story. So I want to invite us not just to think about, okay, where am I desolate, and how can I be a desolate restorer, but in what ways am I invited to be a part of the restorative work of a whole community? And in what ways can I bear witness to and lift up the work of those who are actively engaged in restoring, in actively engaged in adopting and including and offering consolation to the desolate. What does it mean to see yourself in the community here? Not, not just an autonomous agent trying to, you know, do some good and be like Jesus, but in, um, embedded in a community and a broader story of God. We in this room are one instance of the community of God, the great body of Christ that extends well into the past and well into the future. And we have an opportunity to not just locate ourselves in relation to God, but locate ourselves in relation to it, uh, each other. God and his wisdom has given us to one another. So I just want to give us an opportunity uh, before we move into communion to take a moment um, to just sit in that. Um, if you wish, you can close your eyes. You don't have to, um, but you're invited to. And I just want to invite you to, to breathe in the good gift of God, this air, and breathe out. To breathe in, and breathe out gratitude, thank you God for this life. And as you breathe in and out, just an invitation 
to become aware of God already present to you here? And as you breathe, I want to also invite you to listen, and I mean actually listen, not like, like spiritual listen, but actually hear other people breathing, rustling around you. As you attune yourself to God and to one another, to uh, this instance of the community of God, I invite you to go back to the questions uh, Carl introduced. Maybe you feel desolate, maybe you don't, but how can you be present to the redeeming work of God in your desolation? And how can you be a part of this broader community of God that is showing up to tune in, to help us all tune in to the work, the restorative work of God that's already underway, to give voice to it, to bless it, to surround it, and to Continue it. So we, one instance of the community of God, are, have the opportunity to participate in an enacted um, experience. That we here participate in once a week. Yes, Kelly, thank you. Um, uh, communion is... A gift um, from from our Christ to remind us and to keep us connected to the, the fact that we are a part of Christ and a part of each other. He gave us this gift to remind us that even in desolation, even at the brink of what might seem like the end of the story, that that. Christ is with us, will always be with us, and we, we, we are part of one another. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends, and he said, with the bread in his hand, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat, and remember me.
offer prayer for any students going back to school this week and the coming weeks that are nervous and uh, anxious about school, whether that be a school building or homeschool, and just to um, remind our kids of, of that they are healers in their space, that they are part of a community and um, can bring that uh, what's the word from us? Yes, restoration of desolation. And so if you'd like prayer for that, please come on up. And if you're a teacher and you want prayer for that, please come on up. Thank you. Um, if you're invited to stand. Um, we're going to sing together and I want to invite anyone who is willing to, to pray for anyone who needs to receive prayer to come and uh, find a spot on the side. And if you need prayer today, if you need someone to pray for you for any reason, um, spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, um, please do so. Um, God bless you.